Welcome to the interview series, the first podcast by ICMP, the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance in London. I'm back with a second season of interviews, this time focusing on the people that made ICMP a pioneer when it comes to music higher education in the UK, our tutors. I chatted with Jamie Doe, currently teaching on our BA songwriting and BA creative musicianship programs. Jamie is not only an educator, but also a prolific songwriter who has been releasing music under the moniker of the Magic Lantern. We quickly went quite deep into Jamie's life, from his recent instrumental piano EP My Soul is a Strange Country, to his experience as a carer for his dad, who's got Alzheimer's disease, as well as his jobs with adults and kids with learning disabilities. Jamie talked very candidly about his mental health and the overall need for men to be something other than machos, something different than what the patriarchal society we all grew up in wants them to be. This is a very important matter to Jamie and a cause that he supported and still supports through a variety of projects where he's raised money for charities like Calm and Music Minds Matters. Trigger warning. Jamie also talks about male suicide. One thing that stuck with me about him is his will to keep learning and growing, to keep moving forward, to use the momentum, as he says, while also trying to enjoy the journey. Hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did enjoy recording it. Let me know by reaching out on social media at ICMP London. And if you feel inspired, subscribe to the podcast to show us some love and not miss any new episode. Thanks for being um, here with me today. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, excited to have a chat, Laura. Let's go. So um, just want to start by talking about um, last year. So 2020 was, don't need to talk about all the crazy stuff that happened, but I think it was really an interesting year for you because you released two EPs in the same year. So the first one came out in, in uh, January, so it was before the whole madness kicked off. And the second one came out in December. So at the end of a, almost a year of madness. So going out, not going out, lockdowns and all of that. So um, if you were to make a comparison, how different was it to work on, on the two EPs and how different it was to um, release them in such times? Um, well, I think one of the things to say first up is that actually I recorded actually recorded both of those EPs in 2019 um and so what's interesting is that the way i work is is i i actually have a three-year plan like a rolling plan for recording releasing and and uh, and writing and it just so happened that i actually recorded both of them in 2019 and i'd always i'd planned to release the first one the first one is called the life that i have and it's a ep of songs um that came out in january last year but I'd, in I'd intended to release the piano EP, which is the one you, you mentioned, which came out in December. I meant to release that in April. And then when the whole lockdown pandemic thing happened, I just, I had, you know, the whole, like lots of people, I had like a release, a gig, you know, an album launch plan and I had a tour plan for it. And I just didn't feel like releasing music in the middle of that. So I put it on hold a bit, but I used the momentum that I generated by, I guess, having, written that music at the piano and I used a lot of the time that I had because suddenly most I didn't have a lot of work or my gigs were cancelled a lot of my teaching was cancelled to carry on writing and finishing some new songs which became 
the fourth album, which I've which I've been recording last year during the lockdown, and I've just finished uh, last week. So it was really different releasing um, the difference between the release process between the one in January and the one in December. Um, but the actual kind of recording process happened beforehand, and you know when I decided in the end to release the piano EP in December, I'd had an opportunity to talk with a lot of musicians about, you know, and help to mentor a bunch of musicians about what does it mean to release music in the middle of a, a lockdown when you can't tour it, when you can't gig it? How do people hear music differently? You know, when everyone on the one hand has a lot of time and is looking for an outlet for this energy that they otherwise would put into their rushing, chaotic day-to-day lives. And the attention levels are different as well. Yeah, there are. I mean, on the one hand, people, I think, had sort of perhaps a bit more time to, to give to, to listening. And on the other hand, you know, I think a lot of people found it hard to concentrate. Um, what I thought the Piano EP could offer, um, and I hope it has because I've had some lovely responses to it, is some contemplative moments to 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 think and to pause. And in the end, when I decided to release it in December, it felt like a nice way for me to, to kind of round out what had been, you know, for, like for everyone, a, an interesting and at times challenging year, but also it felt like a good time to release some contemplative music. I think a lot about the time of year when I release music. I think about seasons a lot when I release music. I would never, I could never imagine releasing music of mine in the summer, for example. Right. So I always think of my music as being spring, winter or autumn somehow. Okay. Interesting. I would probably say autumn just by listening yeah. to your stuff. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, so December was sort of like the the best time for you to release that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think this is um in a way connected to the next question, which is so this EP is called My Soul Is a Strange Country, and it's all piano, which is the um the instrument that you um originally started playing, like the first one that you started playing, and you also um were composing it while you were taking care of your father who's got Alzheimer's disease. I, and tell me if I'm wrong, I thought that going back to piano and, and the sort of like the, the context that you were, you were living in while you were working on this, it, it made me think of like going back to where home was, sort of like going back in time. And um, I wonder if this was, this is true, of course, I, I don't know, like you tell me. And then I wonder if this sort of like um, experience was sort of like healing and cathartic in a way, considering what you were going through with your dad? I'll talk about sort of how my music relates to my the rest of my life first and, and maybe get onto the specifics of that bit, that question. So, yeah, so my dad has Alzheimer's. He's had it for, for uh, three and a half, four years now. Um, and one of the things which, and, that's, and since that's happened and since it started to progress and it's got worse, you know, I, I, I helped to care for him with my mum. Uh, I try to spend a day and a half, a day and a half, sometimes two days a week, with them, and I've I've kind of arranged a lot of the other aspects of my my life around trying to make sure I can be there and and help out and do that. And naturally, I think um, you know the most people write from what they know, um, and that's one of the things that I that experience and that learning about what love is and what love means in that context and has been a big thing that's sort of come out in my music making both both in, in songwriting and the lyrics I've been writing 
as well as you know trying to maybe address some of those themes of of loss and of memory and of losing someone while they're still here um and trying to and with the piano EP, in that sense, therefore, trying to address some of those themes, but in an int instrumental context, which for me was a new thing, because I, you know, I'm mainly a songwriter. And as you said, I started playing the piano as a kid. But then when I started writing songs, I was mainly doing it on the guitar. So I've always had the piano there in the background. But it wasn't really until the last couple of years when I've... Um, I've started to return to the piano to play it for its own sake, play it for me, basically, because I write songs for other people, but I play the piano for me. And maybe I needed to play for me more um, around this kind of time and right now. And, you know, it's interesting that yeah, the, the song which has resonated with people most from that EP, which is the first track on it called A Long Goodbye, is fairly self-explanatory in the context of what we're talking about. You know, this idea of slowly seeing someone not fade away. I think that's a cliche, but somewhat like that those aspects of the person that, you know, um, kind of disappear to be replaced by a different kind of aspect of them. And I'm very, you know, one of the great things about my dad at the moment and is he's very happy. You know, he's full of, he's very, he's a very happy person, but he doesn't really know who I am. He knows I'm a friend. He, you know, at different times, he'll know who I am exactly, but, you know, and we spend most of our time watching old rugby games. And what's nice from a musical point of view is that some of the memories, which he still has, he, he still really remembers some of my early songs from my first album. And so sometimes we play those together and that's really nice. And, ask for you know play the one about the dog in space or that's so, really cool yeah so that's not that maybe that's a long-winded answer to say that with this piano ep i mainly wrote it for myself and that's rare for me as a, as a musician i wrote the music that i needed to hear and so it was cathartic up to a point although i think catharsis can be it only helps so much it was a project where I wanted to I wanted to take myself seriously as a piano player for the first time in a long time, and like with all of my music, I got to a certain point with playing these pieces for myself, and I thought I think these this music has something to offer other people, because I believe that music has a social function, and that's one of the reasons that I do what I do, and so I put it out, I put the EP out there with that spirit that you know perhaps that there was something I could offer people with this music that would be useful or helpful for them. And I've been really pleased that in the response to, in people's response to it, that, you know, it has resonated with people in the way I'd hoped it would be, which is great. While I was researching a little bit about you before the, uh, the episode, I came across this bit on your website where it basically says that the EP is a study in masculine vulnerability. So can you, can you tell me a little bit more about this? The last couple of years have been a, a challenging and much overdue time for calling out toxic masculinity, you know, through the emergence of the Me Too movement and through a increasing sort of willingness to call out the most negative aspects of masculine behavior and, and the behavior of men, which is 
the heart of so many challenging issues that we that we have as as humans. So I think masculinity is a really challenging concept and wrapped up with the same with some of the same kinds of attitudes which went unchallenged can lead to the kind of excesses that we saw documented and still see documented today about you know men's behavior towards women and of course men's behavior towards each other there is as well something important about how men process emotion and how men deal with emotions both what's acceptable society within various cultures various societies or cultures that you find yourself in but as well as kind of how we process our own emotions in a healthy way and i'm really lucky to be surrounded by some really sensitive and insightful male role models that i've been able to learn from and, and i hope in my work as a musician and as a teacher to be able to share and spread some of those ideas as well so it's important to me in my music as a man as someone who identifies as a man to to explore and to model my readiness to be vulnerable and to put that and to share that with other people to plumb my own emotional fragility in my music and not only because that's my life and that's what i write about a lot of the time but also because i think it's important that we continue to further demonstrate how rich a series of options there are for being a man that don't that aren't just being a strong macho man which like as as far as we've come along like you know changing expectations for what a man should be i still think that you know for men i'm only 35 like and so men of my age and you know and the students we work with who are you know many of them most of them are younger than that you know some of these you know old hang-ups about what a man should be and expectations about how men should process emotion what they should show and what they shouldn't show are still things that we have to challenge to say that it is not the only way because i've decided to help contextualize some of my music by explaining the context in which it's created in my case a very deep sadness about my situation sometimes the situation that my family finds itself in it would be remiss of me to not share that if i think that there's something powerful and useful about other men feeling that that's okay too talking about something lighter hopefully the um the first track the one that you mentioned before long goodbye Mm-hmm. has um has been pretty popular and has been added to quite a lot of um playlists on Spotify calm vibes spring piano wake up gently this kind of like mood based playlist i would like to know i'm curious to know how did it feel to find out and how did you find out about these as well and and how does it feel as um as an artist to have a song taken out of a context which is your ep and this like really deep meaning that you were just talking about and place into a mood so just one of the many tracks into a you know really long playlist that people probably only have in the background while they're doing i don't know cooking yoga whatever how was that for you well i think it's a very interesting musical ecosystem into which we release music these days i don't make music specifically to go on playlists i also have to i also i self fund most of my music i don't get funding um I'm not signed so for sure uh being on some big editorial playlists um does mean that i'll be able to master this current album so i feel pretty at peace with the fact that if people you know engage with only engage with the music in a in a in a very passive sense because it's on, in some background chilled piano playlist um i don't feel if that doesn't offend me artistically i'm not i'm not precious in that way 
I never want to try to enforce the way people should listen to my music. They can listen to however they want. I sort of think that as a musician, I have something to offer and I offer it to you and how you take it and how you listen to it and how you process it is, up, is out of my control. And I wouldn't say how you should do that. So it's useful to me that it's been put on these playlists because for a number of reasons. One is that they will be a, they will make, earn some money out of that. And two, because presentationally, and, you know, from a postmodern sense of perception, creating reality um, and, and over probably an over-focus on statistics and numbers, it looks good as well. So even though I had very little to do with it, I am pleased by it, but I'm, it's also not something that I target necessarily. I would love for my music to be on some more kind of sort of lean-in playlist rather than lean-back playlist. You know, I, I love people to discover my music in lots of different ways. But if it's also gets used in some yoga playlist, then that's fine with me. In terms of how I found out about it, I have a distributor, CD Baby, and I have a very good relationship with them. I did pitch the song on the back end of Spotify for Artists. Um, just like on every release, you can select the song to kind of suggest for playlisting. Um, I know that my distributor also did some pitching. The whole back end of Spotify is so opaque and the gatekeepers of who makes the decisions are so hard to find and that I couldn't tell you how it happened. I can't tell you how to replicate it. So I don't know whether my next album, I'll be able to do that as well or not, or whether it's a one-off, but however it happened, it's serendipitous because it will help to pay, to contribute towards paying for my next record. And I hope some people, even if they're listening in the background, will find it useful for them in some way, even if that's to fall asleep or wake up gently to, do you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Now, just going back in time a little, in um, 2014, you worked on a, on a remake of uh, one of your albums called Love of Too Much Living. And this remake basically included um, other artists' versions of your songs. This is the kit, Rosie Plain, and, and many more. So, like, really um, great names. And all proceeds from the record went to Calm, the male suicide prevention charity. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? Why was it important to you? Yeah, again, it's a sort of funny one. Men's mental health is, is important to me. And it's something that I, I try to kind of to, to help with. I've done a lot of work with Help Musicians UK, working on their Music Minds Matter campaign, which again is about musicians' mental health. And I think it's important for some of the same reasons that being open about, you know, the concept of masculine vulnerability, showing vulnerability and, and not seeing that as, an un, as some kind of unmasculine trait. Um, when I found out that, well, let me track back. When I was at university, uh, a friend of mine took their own life. She was actually a, a woman, um, not obviously so not, a, not a man, but it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And ever since then, the idea of, you know, suicide and, and trying to kind of be really open about that and support, you know, and work of Samaritans or kind of crisis and, and various other charities, which try to raise awareness about and actively help people to take steps to avoid um, taking their own life has been something that's it's been of great interest to me. I came to London and found, came across Calm. And when I found out that male suicide was the leading cause of death among men, like young men under 40 or something, I don't know the exact stat, I couldn't believe it. And that coupled with, you know, my own experience of what happened to my, to my friend and how that, and the repercussions of that made me think that this was some, something I wanted to support. So where I, where I can, I've supported them. And the idea of, doing the remix album was partly because I really believe in a musical community. I'm an independent artist. Uh, a lot of my, a lot of the musicians I love and respect are independent artists to greater or lesser extent. And 
I think that it's so hard to do music and make a career out of it on your own. So I'm very lucky that I'm not on my own. And I'm part of this musical family, this musical community. All the people on that record are friends of mine whose gigs I've supported. They've come to my gigs. We've played on each other's records. And that's the kind of the importance of that musical community, not just from a musical point of view, but from, you know, a sort of a, a mental health point of view, from a support point of view, from a, from a community perspective. It's something that I try and encourage with, with my students and tell them how important it is to be on the scene, to be part of it. Know, to, to to lend their energy to other people's projects, to be the person who goes up to someone at, at the end of a gig and says, I really like that, but also to be there to look out for each other because what we do, because life is hard and doing music is hard as well. It felt like a, doing a remix album or bringing part of my community together to support something, a cause like male suicide prevention, which is really important to me. Felt like a, felt like a good fit. And everyone was really stoked to be a part of it. And it was really nice to do. And I, I did an interview on BBC Six with Tom Robertson. And we spoke about that a little bit. Because I know that um, sort of men's mental health or mental health and suicide prevention is something that's important to him as well. So we had a nice chat about that. And it was, it was good. So yeah, I strongly recommend everyone to check out the work that Calm does. And look after your friends. Give them a call. So you've been active for quite a few years now, and um, I'd like to know what are the things and the artists as well that you look up to and keep inspiring you to just keep developing your craft and keep making music, being as hard and challenging as it can be. I'm very lucky that when I'm, I'm from Australia originally, I moved to Birmingham when I was 13, and I had the really good fortune of being in the same class at school as a guy called Fred Thomas. We became best friends and we're still really close friends now. And Fred is one of the most inspiring musicians I know. He's produced a bunch of my albums. He records for ECM now. And, you know, he's played with everyone from Brian Eno to Ethan Iverson. He's someone whose kind of relentless enthusiasm for music, his hunger to learn, his greed for new information, is something that, that really inspires me. And it's so cool to speak to someone who's always excited about learning something new. Because I think when I look around at artists who inspire me, whether it's Fred, whether it's what Kate Sables does with This Is The Kit, what my friend Chris Heisen does with Snow Poet, who's just produced my new album. You know, these people, who, they're kind of restless. They don't, they, they sort of, there's something about the realization that nothing's just gonna happen. Like you, you have to get the ball rolling and that momentum is important. And the way to sort of, to join all those various dots and mixed metaphors is to, is to always be hungry for the next thing. I don't mean that you should be, you should not, you should be unhappy with what you have. because I think, because I think that's really important and something I, I talk about a lot, which is, you know, enjoying the journey, enjoying the process, but it is about sort of being, being conscious of being on a process and, and creating your own sense of forward of forward momentum in whatever in whatever way in whatever field you work you work in, but this sense that that there's that there's something to get up for in the morning, basically, and it, at its simplest sense. And I think musicians who I look up to find and create reasons to get up in the morning and work on music, and that's inspiring. You're also involved in different initiatives when it comes to learning disabilities, and I thought it was it was really interesting as well. And one of these is a program at Hackney's Specialist Garden School, where you basically work with autistic children. 
how is that experience and and yeah what led you to uh, to do this so um i work for a company called drumworks and we work, we basically take drums into schools and do kind of creative drumming program most of the work we do is in kind of mainstream schools but we have a one off program at hackney at a specialist autistic school called the garden school like you said in hackney. and i've been working there for a couple of years now been workshops there but i got into working with people with um sort of learning difficulties through a arts charity called Innocence who work kind of in near Bracknell in near, close to Reading and I got involved with them because I was writing the music for a play and it was a play it was a really weird play about puppets with a, who had clams for heads it was very strange and I was writing this music and one of the puppeteers he said I was like at the time I, I used to work as a in the civil service um and I worked in the health in the healthcare sector kind of writing speeches and doing project management and very different sorts of things but I wanted to find more ways to earn money through music so I asked his puppeteer like wait what do you do and he said I work at this charity and we work with people who have like really profound learning difficulties and I work as a puppeteer but they always need music like musicians so I was like oh geez hook me up so I went down there and they they said I could sit in and and I turned up at this session and it was the weirdest most surreal thing i'd ever seen i had no no frame of reference for it all it was this like i say multi-sensory therapy it's like they create this whole stage set in a in this big room and they have this whole theme and the theme might be under underwater so they'll create this underwater world and they'll have a, a musician who's improvising and they'll have puppeteers and dancers and there might be three or four practitioners and, and six to eight clients and they're all adults with kind of when i say profound and multiple learning difficulties i mean people who have quite profound autism uh or have kind of complicated uh different learning difficulties which means they're in full-time residential care and what was so powerful about watching this for the first time was seeing that here was a space where people with these kinds of people who otherwise had no control over their own lives were basically who's for the most part their lives were being kind of managed for them for this hour they were given the ability to express themselves on their own terms and it blew my mind it was just before i released my first album 10 years ago and managed to get a job there and so i'd work there one day a week and i had it's the best job i've ever done i got to improvise all day but i also had these really profound experiences and i learned so much about the value of music when it's not about you it was so powerful to go from working there for a day to then going and doing a gig and i'd go back in because so much of what we what we teach at ICMP is about you, the artist, and you and your journey and your music, and that's important because that's what we work on. But there's a whole other aspect of music and music and work in music and work in the community where it's not about you, but it's about helping to facilitate someone else's expression. And that really, really, really had a profound effect upon me, not just from the point of view of like what music could do, but also what I could, like how I could earn a living as a musician as well. By being able to get that job, it meant I could take less time working as a project manager. And gradually I started doing more of that kind of work and less of my office-based kind of work and developed a real interest and a bit of expertise in particularly working, doing music-based workshop work with people with learning difficulties. And so when I met my wife, um, who's a recorder player who already works for Drumworks um, in their mainstream school program, um, they were looking for someone to work to go and run a project in this autistic school and that happened to be right in the crosshairs of my experience as a musician and as a, a workshop leader with a lot of experience working with people with autism yeah it's great 
And it's a really fantastic counterbalance to the kind of very self-centered way I have to think about my, my own career as an artist. And when I get to go and, you know, do drumming workshops with autistic 10 year olds, uh, and yeah, and have to learn new languages. So not just ways of communicating, communicating physically, but also learning Makaton, which is a kind of a sign language we use um, to help communicate with people with learning difficulties. Um, so yeah, it's a fantastic, and I, I, sh- I think all musicians should learn more about music in the community. And I know it's something that ICMP is looking to, to bring in more as part of the program. And what's the what's the response from these kids? I just I'm just curious to know. And also, what's the sort of like difference between doing something like that for adults and doing it for kids? I just wonder. Well, I mean, I would say that for those kids who like who like drumming, and sometimes we don't, you know, we have to. It's not we don't do it with all the kids in the school. We do it with kind of like smaller groups, and you know, we'll try new kids out, and if they respond to it, then then they'll stay. But the response is great. I mean, most kids, whether they have special needs or not like making noise and banging stuff really loudly and if you give them samba drums um in a school canteen like they will love it they will smash all sorts of stuff out of the out of the drums um so in that sense you know kids with autism aren't radically different from kids without autism however I, again for one of the things that's interesting about working with kids or adults with learning difficulties is about communication because it's often communication which is one of the things which is more of a challenge compared to working in mainstream school environments mainstream any environment and what music provides is another way for people to express themselves another way for people to communicate that's one of the reasons that we teach music to anyone because you can say things or you can express things through music that you can't always or don't always feel comfortable doing verbally or some other way and the same is true working with kids who have learning difficulties but i think there is also something special about people who otherwise might lack confidence to express themselves because a lot of people with autism have like social anxiety and to be able to kind of make a big sound, you know, is a powerful thing. We, we do with the sound of drums, we work in a group. So we'll do group work with kind of eight to 10 kids at a time for them to play with each other and to start to kind of communicate with each other musically is really powerful. And I think there's something special about being able to do music based work with autistic kids i think it's very different to the kind of to the kind of program we do in a mainstream school where in mainstream we'll, we'll actually teach samba beat not samba but we'll teach specific kind of beats using the whole all the different types of drums whereas it's much more improvised and free form when we're in an autistic school obviously but it's great and the response is really fantastic and we because we'll, we start working with kids as young as four and five years old and we work with them right up until they're 16 you know, you see this progression. I mean, I've only been doing this, I've only, we've only been in there doing it for, I think, four years now, four or five years. But still, I've seen kids who, who started who were six years old, who are now 10 years old. And they've been learning and playing with, as they've been kind of maturing as, as human beings, like they've also been playing drums at the same time. And the drum has been with them throughout, throughout it. And, you know, we've had some really beautiful responses for what the drums mean to, mean to them as well, which is great. Yeah, I feel lucky to be able to do that. And uh, of course, you joined ICMP quite recently. And um, if I'm not mistaken, you teach on both the BA songwriting and the BA creative musicianship. So I'd like to know what are the differences between the two courses from your perspective, um, like teaching two to different cohorts. And just overall, how has it been for you? Yeah, how is this um, teaching experience going for you? Um, largely, I'd say it's going really well. Um, I started teaching at ICMP in last academic year, and I actually, to be initially, I was I was teaching PPD, this personal and professional development course, 
which was oh, and I, I was that went across the program. So I was teaching songwriters and creative musicians and students and music business students and BMA students, and that was an interesting challenge. Um, it suited me in a way because although I'm a musician, I, I did a philosophy degree, so kind of teaching a, a more kind of um, reflective uh, course was really I really enjoyed it but I've, I feel very much at home on the songwriting course and I'm lucky to be te- I teach the performance to first year songwriters and I think it's fascinating my experience has been really interesting I think that the cohort of students that come to study songwriting at ICMP are a rich complex and super talented bunch of people what one thing which makes it a interesting to teach is quite how varied students background is but they vary their background in terms of where they're from the languages they speak their musical kind of background and musical interests their musical abilities and the different abilities how much formal music education they've had before they come here you know it's it's an amazing amazing mix but it makes it what it makes it really hard to teach the same thing you know to each class because each class is so different so you know maybe the idea is not to teach the same same thing to each class but to teach each class what it needs and it's been an interesting challenge for me because although i've done i've i did a number of different guest artist jobs at different universities i haven't had a like a full-time teaching job at a university until icmp so my pedagogical kind of experience was was more workshop based and more kind of like one-off kind of sessions or one-off projects so having a more kind of like longer, longer view has been really exciting, but I've definitely had to adapt my approach to what works. Um, and I've been really delighted about how open the students are to give me feedback. Like this doesn't work for us. You know, we don't want to sit and do this. Like, can we do something else? And I think it, I can imagine it would be easy to get defensive about that and to kind of feel attacked or something, but I'm not really like that. And I feel really lucky that Tim Elsenberg, who is sort of oversees the module that I teach on, and, and then Shane Beals, obviously, who runs the songwriting, have been so supportive to kind of and trusting of me and what and what I have to bring, but also really, really good at sort of helping me think through and talk through some of these reactions and how to process that into becoming a better teacher. Because ultimately, you know, when I was talking earlier on about momentum and having reasons to get up in the morning and becoming a better teacher and being able to give more students what they what is useful for them to grow and develop helps get me up in the morning and it's been a fantastic challenge and particularly because teaching at ICMP has coincided with everything that's been happening with my dad like having another like exciting professional focus in my life has been really really great to help kind of counterbalance some of the the other very adult real world stuff that I, I deal with with my family so I've, I've been my experience has been great I've been loving it as far as the difference with songwriting to creative musicianship, obviously my experience of the BACM course is much more limited to the to the course I was teaching, which was on um, creative practice. So I, I can't speak too much for how different it is, except I'd say that the I'm intrigued to find out more about BACM and quite what the um, what the intention behind the behind that course is. And I think that's something I look forward to kind of learning more about because it because it, it feels quite. Um, mysterious but also that's also exciting i mean ba songwriting is quite sort of says the name on the tin really about song all the thing all the things you want to know about songwriting whereas creative musicianship could have can mean different things to different people it's a much broader yeah much broader program for sure and i think in that regard how you manage the expectations of this of the students when they're coming on to a much broader idea is i think a different kind of challenge so um, but as i say my experience is quite limited to the creative practice module 
but we had a lot of fun on it. It was like a complete sandpit where I was given no instruction about what to teach, no guidelines, um, which was a challenge and exciting and daunting. But it's the kind of thing I like. I like someone to say, you know, go on. We we recruited you because we think you could do it. So complete trust. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, and um, and hopefully, ho- you know, we'll see what happens. But hopefully I'll get asked to do it next year. Who knows? But yes, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge. And I found that I I really had some fantastic conversations with some of the students, the BACM students on that module. And I found them to be very reflective, thoughtful artists. And I like that. I like that that's, that that focus on thinking, you know, reflecting is which is so, which I enjoy, as you can tell, because I've been talking so much. Um, yeah, it's something that I really think is an exciting part of that course and something I'd love to see how that develops. I kind of got to the end of my, uh, of my question list. Before we say goodbye, I just wanted to know what are your plans for the immediate future or let's say for when, you know, lockdown will be lifted and, and hopefully we'll start living again outside a little bit more. Well, um, I mean, I have, uh, I have a new album coming out this year. Um, it's my fourth album, the one I, which I and I recorded that during the lockdown. That was quite sort of logistically challenging in its own right, but I'm excited to release it this year. Uh, I hope to do some gigs, some real life in person gigs. That would be lovely. That would be fun, and I'm looking forward to playing cricket. I play as part. Of, I have a cricket team uh, in East London, which I used I used to captain, but I just I stepped down to to let someone take over the reins this year, and I can't wait to you know play some cricket and yeah just live a bit we've, we moved house during the lockdown as well so i'd like some, to invite some people oh wow okay for, ha- for housewarming um so yeah those those sorts of things but i'm not making loads of plans based on the lockdown ending i'm i guess i make the i feel like in general i sort of make plans from my life and then try to find a way to force them through regardless of adapt to the uh, circumstances yeah. as you as exactly. you have to i think it's a really it's a really good uh good advice i think it's a really good way to see it Okay. It's a bit, it's like that English thing about if you always waited for a nice day to go for a walk, then you'd never Oh, no, yeah, of course. So you, we're, we're going for a walk on Saturday morning, come rain, hail or shine. You, you know. just go and, and you, you go. stick to your plan. Yeah, okay. That's right. Stick That's to your a... plan. Keep that, keep that momentum going. It all goes back to that. No, I, I love it. it. It makes sense. Well, thank you so much for this chat. It was, uh, it was great. And I uh, hope to see you in person soon. That'd be nice. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>